Well, that is one of our great hopes that because of the victory of Christ on the cross and the coming of Christ in the manger, that we have hope that goes beyond this life. That means all the more with what I'm going to share with you right now. Um, many of you have been praying for Ginny McDonough, and Ginny passed this morning at about 7.20, and uh, so Jim called me and got to see her yesterday, and I know that a number of you have really been showing a great amount of love and care for her. Daryl, I know that's been a burden of yours, and uh, a number of others, just thank you for the way that you've surrounded them. Now we need to surround Jim and, and their family. Let's pray for a minute right now. Father, thank you for the way that you walk with us through every phase of life, even through the valley of the shadow of death. We do not need to fear because you are with us. We know you've been walking with Jim and Ginny through these dark hours, and, and you've consoled a number of people around North River in the, these last several months. We continue to lift up Kathy Harrison and Anne DeVoisin and their families. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the way that you bring peace of heart in the midst of storms. I ask that what you would do with us is continue to prepare us for every situation in life. There are many great days and, and days of, of good news, and there are also days when we receive the hard news. But make us the kind of people who can find joy in every situation and can find the hope that we have in you, that you created us to live for eternity. And Jesus made that possible by dealing with our sins on the cross and by offering us a, a new way of life and a new hope that we embrace by faith. Today, as we continue to look toward the Christmas uh, time and event, I ask that you would continue to create that sense of waiting and longing in our hearts. You know the different challenges that we all carry, and we ask that you would strengthen us, make us wiser, make us more like Jesus, increase our understanding of the Scriptures, even as we pour over these Christmas narratives again in this season, allow us to see more than we've seen before, allow us to also revel in the truths that we're reminded of year after year. Thank you for bringing Jesus into the world in the way that you did, with all the mystery around him. Thank you for bringing him into our own human race so that we could see what God is like with skin on and so that Jesus could identify with us in all the joys as well as the trials of this life. Lord, I pray that you would walk with each and every one of us, from those of us who have been around here for decades and those who are brand new today. I ask that you would make us a welcoming church in a place where people feel that they can belong and they can grow and they can understand more about you. And I also ask that you would allow people to find you here in our midst through the way that we celebrate together, through the way that we pray together, through the way that we serve together. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture I want to read to you this morning is from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 25 to verse 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, that is, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know if you're familiar with this phrase, but have you ever heard someone say, well, that will take you home? Uh, My late father-in-law, Bud Becker, prioritized quality over cheapness. And he he loved to to be the buyer in the family, but he believed that items of quality had better value in the long run. When he bought his last car, it was a used Audi that he found when he was in his mid-80s, he told me, I think this one will take me home. This morning, I I wore a navy blue barber pea coat as I was out walking our dog. It was a coat that Bud really loved. Barber is an English brand that he really liked, and their coats are designed to last for a long time. And I remember when he showed me that coat, he said, this one will take me home. Just to be clear, when he used that phrase, he didn't think that he would drive his Audi through the pearly gates, and he didn't think that we would bury him with his beloved navy blue barber pea coat. He meant that this one will take you to the end of your life, or that this one would last until you get to heaven. Now, the funny thing for me is that while that Audi was his last car, it wasn't designed to take me home, I'll tell you that. After we inherited that car, I found there were more problems that needed to be fixed than the car was worth, literally, and I traded it in for a very reliable RAV4. But as I put on that navy blue barber pea coat, I actually wondered to myself this morning if this one will take me home too, that it might just have the quality to last for a few more decades. Okay, by, by now you're wondering why I'm rambling about my much-beloved father-in-law who was one of my closest friends. The, the reason is that I've been thinking about this phrase, this will take you home, as I've been reading the Christmas narratives again this year and looking at the hopes and promises that we often attach to Christmas. And it occurred to me that some of our longtime hopes are addressed in the stories behind the primary story of Christmas. So last week we began this series that we're calling Hope for the Holidays. As we move closer and closer toward Christmas, we are trying to focus on themes that flow from the Advent season. And uh, last Sunday we talked about a number of Christmas promises that are integral to the Christmas story. Today we're going to look at news that takes you home. So that's our theme today, news that takes you home. That's what the good news of Christmas is. So let me say good morning here, my my North River friends. I wish you all a wonderful, joy-filled Christmas season. I think we're in the midst of it. It's not weeks off. It's it's growing, and it's all around us. 
And I want to welcome everybody here to North River Church. I'm delighted to see so many of you here with us, physically present today. And I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. We're very, very glad that wherever you are, you are making this a part of your celebration or of your day. And for those of you who watch later in the week, thank you for prioritizing a time and for finding a way to do that. I would love to keep pointing you toward next steps. Whatever it is that the Lord prompts on your heart, keep taking the next step in following him, in committing to, to act as, as Jesus has acted or to think like Jesus has, has thought. This is the way that we grow. The, the more that we keep taking those next steps and we walk with him. Now, usually there's a question behind every message, and the question I have this morning is, what is the news that will take us home in the Christmas story? And so we're going to focus on uh, three thoughts that relate to this news that takes you home theme. Here's the first one. Simple acts often lead to God moments in our lives. Simple acts. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 21. It's the section just before Uh, what I read for you a moment ago. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord pair of doves or a pair of of young pigeons. People in our lives, in our lifetime, are often looking for a sign from God or a word from the Lord. But many people in this world around us are not sure how to find that sign or how to hear from the Lord. And so they get frustrated or impatient with the Lord. Some give up altogether. Others go outside of the ways that God prescribes. So they might listen to a fortune teller or they have their palms read or something else which is actually looking for somebody else to give a sign because they've given up on God. Notice that Mary and Joseph's next steps were directed by God's word in the Bible. So they'd already been given these signs in the sky on the night that Jesus was born Uh, that the angels came and they spoke to the shepherds and the shepherds came down to, to see where Jesus was born. And Mary and Joseph began to follow the instructions they had already been given. They gave the boy the name Jesus, the name that Joseph had been told by an angel in a dream to, to give to Jesus. His name is important because Jesus is a derivative of a word that means God saves or the salvation of God. And that's exactly who Jesus would become, the salvation bringer from God. First, they followed an Old Testament scripture. It would have been the the Hebrew Bible, the only Bible they knew at that time. And so they, they looked at Leviticus 12, verse 3, which called for circumcising and naming the child on the eighth day after his birth. So back in verse 21, when it says on the eighth day, it's not the eighth day of the month, it's the eighth day after Jesus was born, and this was the day that they would... Uh, have the circumcision. Most likely that would have happened in their home as a local priest came by to to lead that. The second thing they did was they followed steps for dedicating or consecrating Jesus to the Lord. And so they dedicated their firstborn son. He would be dedicated to the Lord's purposes. Now this instruction is described in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2 and verse 12. 
And there it says that every firstborn male was to be dedicated to the Lord. So they took a short trip from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, about six miles away from Jerusalem, and bringing him to Jerusalem, they would now dedicate Jesus formally. So, so here's one of those observations that a few hundred years before some Christian traditions added in baptizing infants, Jesus was dedicated at the temple in Jerusalem. The third thing that happens here is that 33 days after, after childbirth, Mary was to leave her new mom's seclusion and go through a purification ceremony that would take place at the same time as this dedication. This is the reason that the family was bringing an offering. And they, it's interesting that they brought a poor family's offering. If, if they were a wealthy family, they would have brought an ox or a regular family, like a middle-class family, a, a lamb. But a poor family was allowed to bring either two doves or two pigeons. One more sign that Jesus came very humbly into this world. Most noteworthy is that the Lord chose this occasion as they're simply following the instructions, the instructions of Scripture to send another sign. While they were going about following the commands of God, they found that sign. As they came into the temple, this is when two people approached them with prophetic messages about Jesus. Now, this is often how the Lord works. Not that he brings prophets and prophetesses into our lives on a regular basis, but as we are going about the work that he has already given us, God speaks to us. He speaks to us along the way of faithfulness. So as Joseph and Mary gave the boy the name Jesus, dedicated him, and then gave their offering to the Lord, a confirming message was brought to them by these two older people, Simeon and Anna. There's something there for us to stop and ponder and think about for a moment. We don't need to do strange things or miraculous things in order to hear from God. But as we continue to do what he expects us to do, what he's already instructed us to do, that's when he gives that next word of wisdom that prepares us for the next step. So here's the first thought. Simple acts often lead to God moments in our lives. That was true for Mary and Joseph. I believe that's true for us today. Here's the second lesson, second observation. The Lord honors those who wait. Verse 25 starts off by talking about Simeon's appearance that day at the temple. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So one of the things that we realize here is that some of God's people, the Jewish people, were expecting a Messiah. We noticed last week that the word Messiah or the title Messiah means chosen one. It would later be translated into Greek as Christos and English as Christ. Matthew lets us know that King Herod wasn't ready for this particular message because he was very upset and very disturbed when he heard that there was a child who was born as the future king of the Jews, and he wanted to find out where he was. We know later on, Herod commissioned the soldiers to wipe out all the little boys two years old and under in Bethlehem. So he was terrified of the news of Jesus. But Simeon was ready and waiting. Luke tells us a few things about Simeon, that he was righteous and devout, 
that simply means that he was a faithful and consistent servant of God. Not perfect, but faithful. And Luke adds that Simeon was waiting for something called the consolation of Israel. So you might have wondered in all the years that you've heard this passage read or you've read it yourself, what is the consolation of Israel? Is it it some event that they celebrate that we no longer celebrate? Well, the word consolation comes from a root word that means to console or to comfort. Simply put, Simeon was waiting for the coming of the Messiah who comes to comfort God's people. 600 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had written, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. In a nutshell, this reveals the role that Jesus would play when he began his public ministry and he began to present to them the kingdom of God that has come through his presence. First, he would comfort God's people and identify with them in their, their oppression. Second, he would speak tenderly to the people of Jerusalem. And the third thing that he would do was pay for their sin. By the way, this is why we have great hope to offer at Christmas time. Jesus comes to console us and to identify with his people in the midst of oppression. Jesus continues to speak tenderly to all who draw near to him, which is why we point people toward Jesus. We know how he's going to react and respond, not with judgment, not not by excluding or rejecting, but by welcoming people into his presence. And third, Jesus came to pay for the sins of the world. This is why, even at Christmas time, we need to talk about both the manger and the cross because they are tied together. We need, in a sense, every aspect of what I would call the woodworking of Jesus. Uh, think of it. Uh, the manger reminds us of his humble birth, so the manger crafted out of wood. His commitment to hard work and developing skill in his labor as a carpenter took that woodworking further. But his final woodworking effort was as he turned the cross from an instrument of shame to a symbol of hope. The redeeming work of Jesus is applied to our individual lives when we decide to trust him. And it's all of that woodworking of Jesus, if you will, trying to be creative with that, that leads us to that moment when we realize that he is trustworthy and we can put our hopes and our trust in him. So the Lord honors those who wait. The Lord was honoring Simeon who had been waiting for a long, long time for the consolation of Israel when God would bring the ultimate hope of the world into his presence, and that happens through the coming of Jesus. And then there's a third observation, and I love this one. He remembers and includes the old along with the young. Verse 36 comes just after the passage we read a moment ago. It says, there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. Think about that. She had lived with her husband for seven years and then was a widow for 84 years. So I would imagine that Jewish girls got married rather young. Let's say she's at least 15 years old, maybe 16, 17 when she gets married, but we'll go with 15. Add seven years to that. She was married for seven years. She's 22. And now there's another 84 years that she's serving the Lord. How old is she? 
101, 102, at least 100 years old. Not often that we read about people like this in the New Testament era. It goes on and says, She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This past Monday morning, I was in a a Zoom meeting with Gordon McDonald. Gordon was a longtime pastor at Grace Chapel, author of many books, one of the, the wise men who speaks into my life. And Gordon pointed out to us this paragraph of Scripture about Simeon and Anna. And he asked the group of us the question, when was the last time you preached about the old people of the gospel? He called this, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but he called this the geezer gospel. <laughs> I love that. It makes it very, very memorable. Now, now, Gordon's 84 himself. He's a retired pastor and leader, and he has the right to use terms like that, I think. And he's been reflecting back on his ministry. He mentioned how comforting it is for him to now read these verses and realize that the Lord deliberately included a pair of older and cherished leaders with this recognition of God's work in the world through Jesus. And he deliberately brings them to our attention. We rightfully acknowledge the bold, young faith of Mary in the Christmas narratives. And truth is, we don't know how old Mary was, but very often girls get married when they were still teenagers in that, in that realm of time. And while we don't know how old she was, we, we make guesses. Maybe she was 15, 18, 19, something like that. The Bible also gives us no clues about the age of, of Joseph directly, some wonder if he might have been older than Mary because he seems to disappear after Jesus' teenage years and he's no longer in the story. Perhaps he was older, perhaps he, he died along the way, we just don't know. But not only did Jesus have a purpose for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, we discover here that he had a purpose and a role to play for Simeon and Anna. Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, sees Jesus and breaks out with praises toward God. And so we're told here by Luke that it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had given him that sense of confidence and hope. And so now he prays. And, and this prayer is, is cherished through the centuries of Christian faith. In Latin, it's called the Nunc Dimittis, which really has to do with the first few words of his prayer that's recorded here in Luke chapter 2. But he starts off by saying, now dismiss me. That's what those Latin words mean. In other words, saying, Lord, I've seen the one thing that I've been waiting to see. I don't need to see the rest of how it plays out. I know that you've brought your son into the world and that I lived long enough to see this moment is enough. This one will take me home. This cherished moment is enough to carry me to the end. I know, having seen Jesus, that the rest of all that was prophesied about the role that he would play will be fulfilled. And I'd love to see the rest of it, but I don't have to, because I know that you've started the process, and I trust that you will finish it. That's great faith. He recognized that Jesus had come, and Simeon was saying, this is the news that will take me home. Simeon then tells Mary what the Spirit had revealed, that Jesus will cause the, the falling and rising of many in Israel. 
Have you ever wondered what that meant when you read through the Christmas narratives? Well, the decision that you make about who Jesus is determines whether you will rise or fall in the eyes of God. And then he adds that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed based on how people in our day and right on up until the return of Christ and how they respond to Jesus. And so then he adds one more note for Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. In other words, she would see Jesus on the cross. She would see him suffer. She would see him through this entire moment of paying for the sins of the world at great sacrifice. Anna then adds a word about Jesus and redemption. This is the child they were all looking forward to. This is the child who will bring the redemption of Jerusalem. Where does this come from? An old woman who's more than 100, who spends her days fasting and praying, never leaving the temple. I get the sense that she was mostly forgotten by the world around her, People may have seen her as this crazy old woman who's always in the temple. When you, when you come, when you leave, good days, bad days, rainy days, snowy days, hot days, she's always there. She's always praying. She's always fasting. She's always hoping and waiting. But on this day, she spoke words that clarified and comforted Mary and Joseph. And she confirmed the redemptive role of Jesus for the world. God had a role for her to play. He wasn't done with her yet, just like he wasn't done with Simeon yet. And that gives me great hope that if there's still breath in your body, there's still a role that God has for you. He's still including each and every one of us in the unfolding of his great grand story that goes through the sweep of time, the sweep of the scriptures, and that won't be finished until Jesus returns again and makes all things right. So here's the big idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. God sees the simple acts of the faithful, honors those who wait, and has roles for the old as well as the young. One of the things that we've tried to do around here the last several years is to think intentionally uh, about how we become more of an intergenerational church. Not focus on this generation or that generation, but on several generations at the same time and how we work together, how we partner together, how we learn together. And I think that flows right from this Christmas scene that we see that includes not just the young Mary and the infant Jesus, but Simeon and Anna too, perhaps with Anna being the eldest member of the company. So what are we focusing on today? More hope for the holidays that comes through another of these Christmas narratives. The Lord sees your simple acts of faithfulness. Don't get discouraged. Uh, Don't expect big things every day. Go for the consistent. Go for the simple. Go for the faithful acts because God sees those. And sometimes along the way of being faithful and following the last instruction that he gave us, that's when he gives us the next sign of hope. God honors those who wait. Some of you here are continuing to pray to God and you're waiting for a number of things. Yes, you're waiting for Jesus to return. We look forward to that. That is called the great hope of of the Christian faith. But we're waiting for other things too. You're praying for a child, a son or a daughter who profess faith in their childhood years and then seem to walk away from it all, praying that God will lead them back, that God will draw them back. 
Keep on praying. Keep on hoping. Keep on fasting. Keep on waiting. Don't give up. Anna was 100 or 102 when God finally began to answer that prayer for her. He's not done with your prayers. And God has roles for the old and the young together. And I long to see what God is continuing to unfold in our lives. God sees the simple acts of the faithful, honors those who wait, and has roles for the old as well as the young. That's the news that will take us home. I wonder if you would uh, pray a closing prayer with me. I put it in your notes, and it's going to flash up on the screen behind me as well. Let's do this together as a congregational prayer. Lord, in this Advent season, look down upon our simple acts of obedient faith. Give us your presence as we wait for our loved ones to return to faith, for Jesus to return in glory and for justice to come. Renew our hope that you have roles for us all in your great redemption story. And Lord, let the peace and joy and hope of the Christmas season rest with us all as we trust in you and walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.